one and all. Good evening. Praise We're just using the notebook. Do you hear me, Jessica? Yes. Okay. Thank you. I heard thank you. Do you sing lead on this? this is Martha's song. Yeah. Page 17. We missed Martha. Yeah, we should have sang this on her birthday. We forgot. Aww. We'll sing it now for it's her. one week later. She don't care. Mama, you she's, look so she's nice happy today. Where she's at. You look so handsome. I love Momo. He's so cute. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're gonna turn to page seventeen.
just need somebody to give out one of those hoops, you know, like, Ooh, I can't do it. Do a high pitch, do that high pitch. I have to get it on video or audio. Play it. All right, we're going to sing one more, page 79. Oh, I want to see him. 
chapter. Oh, yeah? The other two are good. I mean, it's God's Word, but this one's a little brighter. A little Ooh. less uh, fire and brimstone and hell and damnation and death and darkness. Alright, so the, we're just going to cover the first few verses as we get into that. But first, hold your questions and comments to the end of... The Watching Israel at War 221-24. Day 138. The official number is still 134 when it comes to hostages. I'm not sure how that's all, you know, but they, they still have that number. And uh, credit where due, the Biden administration vetoed the UN ceasefire measure. So uh, that shot that down. A draft resolution at the United Nations Security Council calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza was vetoed by the United States on Tuesday. Those against? It was the third such veto since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. Abstentions? Britain abstained while the 13 other council members all voted in favor of the drafted text. Proceeding with the vote today was wishful and irresponsible. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Linda Thomas-Greenfield told the 15-member body that the draft resolution could jeopardize ongoing ceasefire talks between the U.S., Egypt, Israel, and Qatar. We believe that the resolution on the table right now would, in fact, negatively impact those negotiations. 
demanding an immediate, unconditional ceasefire without an agreement requiring Hamas to release the hostages Amen. will not bring about a durable peace. Yeah, that's right. Instead, it could extend the fighting between Hamas and Israel. According to text seen by Reuters, the U.S. has proposed a rival draft resolution calling for a temporary ceasefire, quote, as soon as practicable and on the condition that all hostages are released. The blocked draft resolution, which was drawn up by Algeria, did not link a ceasefire to the release of hostages. Here's Algeria's UN ambassador. Voting against it implies an endorsement of the brutal violence Israel's UN ambassador said the word ceasefire was being mentioned as if it was, quote, a magical solution. What exactly will this silver bullet ceasefire achieve? A ceasefire achieves one thing and one thing only, the survival of Hamas. Palestine's UN ambassador said blocking the Algerian drafted resolution would mean more horrors in a war that health authorities in Gaza say has killed nearly 29,000 Palestinians. The message given today to Israel with this veto is that it can continue to get away with murder. Outside the UN headquarters in New York, protesters called on the U.S. to back the resolution. Washington traditionally shields Israel from UN action and has been averse to the word ceasefire in any resolution. But the draft resolution it proposed could signal a shift as the U.S. text echoes language that President Joe Biden said he used last week in extensive talks with Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in which he pushed for a temporary ceasefire. That's the propaganda. At least when it's, they show the video, at least you see that's propaganda. Protesters were opposing Israel outside of the U.N. headquarters. Three people, two of them wearing big, huge, fake heads, you know. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's like we're in a uh, Saturday Night Live skit back when that was funny. Yeah. And rewarding Hamas with a two-state solution is also dead on arrival, and that's good news. Um, it just makes no sense. The whole reason they were already treating Gaza as though it was an independent state, and that's why they were able to do what they did on October 7th, killing all those people. And Israel's Knesset, which is like our Congress, um, is almost completely united in opposing that recognition of the Palestinian state. And some of you are aware of the fact that it's been very close, actually, in the past to them endorsing it. So it's totally changed that uh, uh, atmosphere in the Knesset. So we just continue to watch that and see which way it's going to go. And uh, with, with that, we go to number two, the illegals invasion that's taking place. Not just in the southern border. It's taking place all over the place. The north, they're flying in, getting off an airplane, and then never, show, never coming back, never leaving. But what is the government doing with all of those single fighting-age men? And we've shown you that before. When you hear about the border, you're hearing about an invasion of not families. They're bringing children and women, but it's not families. The children and the women are being brought up for sex abuse and slavery. They're taking, bringing them into this country, turning them into sex slaves, and then just using them as old-fashioned farmhand-type slaves. Um, it's going on over the country. And the Biden administration knows that's happening. We've said it over and over. 
But a huge number of these people coming across are single men fighting age in their 20s, early 30s. And um, watch, I mean, uh, they, they are actually now saying that they, the Democrat Marxist death cult is trying to pass law to allow illegals to serve in the military and then saying, and then if they serve in the military and they serve with honors uh, or they, they, you know, have an honorable discharge, they can then become American citizens. So uh, this is Charlie Kirk was the first person I saw uh, spell it out. I went and found some other uh, sources, but he, called, he said that they're calling it the Courage to Serve Act allowing illegals to get citizenship with benefits as a reward for service in the U.S. military. Now, one of the excuses for this is that this year, 2024, is on track to be the U.S. military's worst recruiting year since World War II. So they have the worst chief. It's because they've turned it into a sodomite cesspool. That's why. That's why people don't want to be, that's why so many have left and so few want to join. And uh, instead of fixing the institutional rot that is pushing young Americans away from military service, our leaders want to replace them with hired foreign guns. The new proposal in Washington that would help migrants get an expedited path to citizenship, it would require them to first serve in the U.S. military. All right, Fox Size Morgan McKay joins us with details of the bill which lawmakers say could help solve two problems at once. There is no higher honor than serving your country in uniform. And that honor could be extended to migrants under a new bill introduced by Hudson Valley Congressman Pat Ryan. Called the Courage to Serve Act, this bill would offer qualified and vetted migrants an expedited path to citizenship if they serve in the military. According to Ryan, last year the military services collectively missed recruiting goals by roughly 41,000 recruits, leaving some crucial positions unfilled. If there are folks with the courage to raise their right hand, take an oath to protect and defend our Constitution, and put their lives on the line for this country, then they sure as hell deserve the opportunity to be citizens in the United States of America. So you'll have an army willing to shoot Americans because they're not Americans. And you get Democrat voters to boot. Just... Just like today, you saw where uh, Biden paid off about 153,000 student loans. What's that doing? Buying votes. That's all it's about. Meanwhile, China forms an underground terror force here in the United States. Uh, Jenny Alba, you posted uh, the link to an article, and I'd heard about this a couple of days ago. And I was still waiting to see, but it looks like it's being confirmed that China has gone back to uh, forming militias in their own country that they haven't done since the 1970s or, or like maybe early 1970s. And here in America, look at the stats. In 2021, you had 450 Chinese nationals come into the country illegally. Oh, wow. Just this year, we're January, February, 20,000. It's an invasion. And the only thing I can say is, folks, is that our nation is so wicked, just so wicked, that it's now like spiritually brain dead and mentally retarded. 
And I don't mean that in a bad way, so get over it if you don't like that word. It's a real word, and it describes the mental condition of this country right now. <laughs> it's Our country from the southern border, that's a massive increase, as you can see, from just three years ago. So what's behind this? Gordon Chang senior fellow at the Gatestone Institute and author of China is going to war. First, Gordon, do we know who these people are? Well, certain people are who they say they are. They are desperate middle class Chinese. You know, you showed a migrant who paid a thousand dollars to the court cartels. Well, the Chinese migrants pay something like thirty five to forty five thousand dollars to the cartels because they can afford it. And the cartels know that. Um, but we're also seeing a group very suspicious, very sinister looking um, Chinese males of military age traveling without family members, pretending not to speak English. And in last month, at the end of last month, we started to get more evidence that these are saboteurs because we saw these videos of recent arrivals taking target practice with pistols and sniper uh, rifles. So really, we got to be concerned because why would they be doing this after just arriving in the U.S., being here fewer than three weeks? Well, can you break that down um, in terms of these military age men? Where are they taking this practice? Who are they? What type of organization is behind them? You know, you got to eat. You got to sleep someplace. Who's taking care of them? Can you tell our viewers, explain that in detail? Well, first of all, they were the videos from the Defiant America website, um, which is of some sandy desert area. But we also know um, from, for instance, Blaine Holt, a retired Air Force general, that they're taking target practice in large numbers in his state of Idaho. Um, so this seems to be across the country. In the Defiant America website, they said that the migrants who had been pictured were in the U.S. Um, for less than three uh, weeks. They had uh, no money when they crossed the border into the U.S., and they had no identification. So the question is, where did they get the funds for target practice? We really don't know. And there are a lot of questions that have to be answered because there are, as we progress, more and more reports of target practice by Chinese migrants. Are authorities aware of this? And is there any indication that the FBI and other law enforcement may be they may be on their radar? Have you heard about any of that? We've hear, I've heard of no U.S. law enforcement efforts. Um, I have heard of groups of Americans who are extremely concerned who are tracking these Chinese migrants and getting evidence of it. Um, but so far, you know, the Biden administration has not been tracking um, migrants as they come across the U.S. And I don't think that they've been tracking the Chinese ones as well. The problem, part of it is that there have been so many Chinese migrants that they have not been vetted carefully for either military or Communist Party links um, because of language problems and because of just the sheer number of them. And finally, we go from uh, three years ago, we saw 450 Chinese migrants, 450. And then in just four months, 20,000. Is it your belief that this is an organized CCP operation to infiltrate Chinese nationals of military age, perhaps, into our country for eventual nefarious purposes? Well, that's certainly true for some of them. I think the majority, though, um, really are desperate Chinese because we have seen in the last couple of years evidence of societal failure in China. Um, the economy is crumbling, but also society is just not working like it once did. Um, so I do believe that most of the Chinese coming across 
are, are really just desperate. Remember, these people have given up everything to come to the U.S. Um, so, um, you know, if you're talking about the vast majority of them, yes, they're desperate. But inside of that, there are large numbers of, I think, soldiers who have come here to wage war on America, to link up with known Chinese facilities, especially that uh, lab in Ridley, California, the secret Chinese biological weapons lab that had uh, at least 20 pathogens, including the one for Ebola and almost a thousand mice that had been genetically engineered to spread disease. That's evidence that China is putting together this infrastructure to wage war on us. It's happening. And... So, you know, what do you do? Well, uh, I'd say the people have to worry the most are the people living in the city. And if you live in the city, you better have some uh, weapons and you better have some food and you better have a, a go bag and you better have an ex escape plan. And that's all I can tell you. Uh, and, uh, of course, we pray that our escape route is up. Amen. But uh, I, I wish I could just say don't worry about it because we know the rapture is going to happen first. We don't know that. And I've yeah. talked about it over and over. That human history for 2,000 years, a bunch of people have suffered the same sort of thing that is happening in America today. And why does it happen? God hands them over. God has said in his word, he didn't just do it to the Jews. Who did the Jews kick out to get the promised land? He warned the Jews, if you go and become like the heathen, I'll kick you out of the land. And he did. But before that, he said, I'm going to kick those people out. But you got to wait a little while because the uh, wickedness of the Amorites is not yet full. And then there came a time when the wickedness of the Amorites was full. And he destroyed them. And he gave their land to Israel. America, it's kind of close if you think about it. America... Amorites, United States of Amorites. And I'm not happy about it one bit, so don't get me wrong, but I'm just telling you how it is. And the Bible says in the last days, Luke 21.10, Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. They notice things that are different are not the same. So he's not talking about the same thing. I've heard people teach that too. Nations and kingdoms as though they're the same thing. They're not. The kingdoms are a reference to the countries and their governments. The nation is a is talking about as you hear it used like the Cherokee Nation. You know, you hear it used right sometimes, and it'll it'll mean that within America, you have all these uh, segments in our country who have never uh, become part of the melting pot, and they've never assimilated, and they're coming in groups now. They've been here for a while. And you have these different groups are all going to come against each other, and it's going to be a big, ugly thing when it happens. And so Jesus said it was going to. The question is, will it happen before the rapture? That's the only thing we don't know. Amen, amen. Be informed, pray, and act accordingly. Johnny? There's more I've learned of all the different things happening in the world, especially here in America. Seems like the enemy has left nothing to chance, have they? No. Just, it is pervasive. Yeah, it's just, on every level. Yeah. Sexual immorality and violence, drugs, I mean, you name it. Satan, <laughs> Satan has never been a simpleton. Satan has always been a, uh, a mastermind of having, uh, a lot of times when he kills 
people and nations, it's death by a thousand cuts. It's never just a big, it's rarely a nuclear bomb that Satan lets off. It's usually a slow bleed and it's, a, it's death by a thousand cuts. And America is definitely dying death by a thousand cuts. Uh, you can turn on, uh, I watch, we use Rumble to watch uh, War Room with uh, Steve Bannon and um, on Rumble, you can find all kinds of live stream, live feeds of different news sources, and uh, one after the other. And I don't watch them all day long, but I'll, I'll be busy, and then I'll take a break for five minutes and listen to what's going on. Or Jenny will say, "Hey, come here and look at this," or whatever. And uh, every day, all day long, it's one thing after another. You can't keep up. You just cannot keep up. Even, I mean, even if you sat all day long and for 12 hours watched that stuff, you could they, they aren't able to keep up. So you're not seeing the whole picture. Amen. And that's where we're at, but, you know, Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Amen. Anybody else want to make a comment or ask a question before we move on? All right. Yeah, Mark? You know, I hate saying this, but we, we brought, this country's brought it on itself. I was looking it up, a uh, quote from... Uh, I'm trying to think who it was. He said uh, it was attributed to Thomas Jefferson. I found out he wasn't the one who said it, but it was another founding father said something similar. But he says you uh, the the people elect the government they deserve. Now just sit and think about that. Now I know there's a lot of cheating going on. Well, why? Because we're, our country is so wicked. There's, there's so much dishonesty and so many lies and everything. Mm -hmm. But. America deserves a reprobate like Joe Biden. America deserves what we get when we get anything that isn't like Joe Biden. It's a, um, yeah, it's just God's mercy. Yeah, Doug? Yeah, um, I think that was from uh, uh, Pogo or something like that. When we met our enemy and that is us. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's By the way, I always hear... Um, Abe Lincoln is so deified by people in this country, and um, he that they'll give him credit for quotes that he didn't make. But then the other day, there's somebody said, "Well, it's as Abe Lincoln said: a house divided against itself it cannot show, stand." It was at a show we were watching. They're like, "Jesus is the one who said that." That's right. Abe might have quoted it. I'm sure he did, but oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus but is the one who said it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's just funny, but uh, all right. Well, with that, let's get into our Bible study. This Bible study is a little more positive, but it's not going to happen tomorrow, so it's something out in the future. But uh, you say we've read the back of the book and we know who wins. Well, you, actually, we see it throughout the book as well. It's not just in Revelation that we see who wins. That's what we'll see tonight. Let's open with a word of prayer and then get into our Bible study. And uh, ask Brother John if you would over there. You don't have your mouth full, do you? I'll talk <laughs> <laughs> uh, If you would have by step prayer. All right. All right. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, John. And uh, I'm so reminded that of uh, Hebrews 4.16, that we can come to your throne boldly because of the blood of Christ that was sent for our sins. Amen. And Lord, it says that we can find your grace to help in the time of and Lord, if there's any time in history that we need grace, not only for ourselves, Lord, but Lord, we certainly need to have your grace to be 
we shed again upon our country. Yes, sir. And uh, even though the work here at BBF is, is small, um, I'm still reminded in Scripture, Gideon only had 300 men. And he won a victory over 135,000. Lord, your ability to do things is not hampered because of the stuff we see with our eyes. And Lord, uh, when the disciples were perishing on on uh, on the lake, uh, they forgot that the Lord told them that they would safely make it to the other side. Okay. And Lord, uh, they did not trust you, Lord. And here at BBF, Lord, help us to trust your word for Man. every single thing, for every storm that comes along in our life. Please be our Lord and be our Savior in it. And Lord, may there be a little spark from here that will be able to go through the other 50 states. Um, the battle was great, the giants are great, but your word is as firm and strong as ever. And uh, your word will make it storm until you sit on the throne at your side. Uh, again, we ask your tender mercies upon us. Remember our friends with blood dust. Uh, and again, as I'm reminded in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 2.5, Lord, may our faith rest in the power of God. Help us this night, Lord, from this day forward to see the connection between faith and the power of God. Help us this night, Open up your heart to teach us the Word of God, and may we have our hearts and understanding opened up as your Word is taught to us. And uh, may each of us learn something from the Word that will help us walk straight with you. Again, be merciful to us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right, we're in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the mountain of the house of the Lord. So we begin Micah 4. And get a glimpse of the mountain of the house of the Lord. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2 together. So read it with me. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills. And people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Amen. 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 So Micah now foretells the coming literal kingdom of Messiah, um, the Messiah of Israel, who we know to be Jesus, of course. We're going to say a word of introduction, then we'll look at verse 1 is the establishment, and number 2, the administration. So we'll look at that as we come to it. By way of introduction, I just want to remind you of the charts we have out there. This is the seven uh, biblical dispensations. It's very important that you get a grasp of that to understand these things when you're reading them. That uh, Micah is talking uh, to people who are uh, about to have their temple destroyed, and that's Solomon's temple. And then that brings in a time... After the captivity, 400 years of silence, and then the Messiah himself shows up, and uh, we know that to be Jesus Christ, 
And he then, at the age of about 30, offers the kingdom for three and a half years. They reject him. He's crucified. He arises from the dead, conquers sin and death, and ascends to heaven. And his apostles continue to offer that kingdom throughout the book of Acts. But we see in tandem with the offer is a transition from Micah's dispensation of Mosaic law to our dispensation of the gospel of the grace of God. This is about to wind up after a couple thousand years almost, this dispensation. And we're about to then, after the rapture, we see the last actual, actually the last seven years of the previous dispensation. We go back under Mosaic law for seven years. They'll build a third temple. And that third temple will be a, what we call a tribulation temple. It will not be God's temple. Uh, it is not something God himself will be in, but he prophesied it will happen, and it will be on his land, it will be on his mountain. So that's why it's considered sacred and off limits to uh, the heathen. But then the Antichrist will walk in there and midway through the tribulation declare himself to God, and then that just causes God to rain his wrath. And after three and a half years, Jesus will return destroy the whole Antichrist system, clean that mountain of the Lord off, and build the final temple, the millennial temple, that will be there for a thousand years. And that's what this is about. Verse 1 says, But in the last days it shall come to pass. Last days meaning the last dispensation, literally. That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountain. And that's a literal temple of God on his appointed temple mount. We're in Deuteronomy in our office studies right now, and even all the way back then, before the Jews, the Hebrews had even gone into the promised land, God says, I'm going to pick a place. And that place is the only place you're supposed to do my service when it comes to sacrifice and the whole priesthood and everything. And they just kind of pictured the tabernacle being put there. Um, and for a while, uh, that's all they had until Solomon built his temple. And that was a wonderful temple, an amazing temple. But we're going to take time, not this week, but we're going to look. Ezekiel, beginning at about Ezekiel 40, gives some very detailed information about this amazing temple that will be built during the millennium. It will dwarf all previous temples. That millennial temple is going to be an amazing thing to see. So on that chart with the dispensations, if you look, you'll see there where this is at. And you zoom it in a little bit. That's where we are. We're right about where that purple ribbon says pre-tribulation rapture of the church sideways there. And then that's the 70th week. That's the last seven years of Mosaic law. That's why there's a temple. And that's why they'll go back under the law in a sense but they won't actually fulfill the law just like they didn't fulfill it in the 69 weeks previous to that. And then what happens at the end of that is the second coming of Jesus Christ and he sets up his kingdom and that's where we are. We have another chart that I refer you to, Daniel 70 week prophecy that I would uh, encourage you to get. It shows the Daniel 9, 24 to 27 prophecy uh, as it's charted 
that you'll find there. And you zoom that in, you'll see we're in that dispensation of the gospel of grace. We're about to go up at the rapture of the church. And that then introduces the uh, 70th week. And that'll be the last seven years before Jesus sets up his kingdom, which is where we're at again in Micah 4, 1 and 2. And by the way, I just want to mention this. We studied the feast of the Lord for Israel. And I want to repeat this because I, I see it all the time. Some of you wonder, when's the rapture going to happen? And there's always going to be somebody out there ready to sell you a book and convince you that it, the rapture has something to do with the Feast of Israel. And I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with the Feast of Israel. Amen. The Feast of Israel belonged to who? The Jews. Israel, the Jews. It's not about the church. And so what they'll point to is down in the fall feasts, and they'll say that the Feast of Trumpets is, is uh, like the the feast that indicates the last trump of the rapture. No. The Feast of Trumpets points you to the seven trumpet judgments in Revelation. Yeah, yeah. Then you have the atonement. That doesn't. That has nothing to do with the rapture or anything. And I've heard some guys say, I don't really know how that fits in. <laughs> it doesn't fit in. And that's all about when Jesus comes in Romans 11, 25 to 27, for one example, says that's when I take away their sins. When he returns and the third remnant, the one-third of, of the Israel remnant that survives, it says they'll look upon him whom they pierced in Zechariah 14. And that's when they are saved. At that moment, they, they are saved literally and they're saved as they uh, turn, they have rejected the mark of the beast, they've survived. And so that then brings you down to the Feast of Tabernacles. And that is when Jesus will fulfill what he wanted to do the first time. He will have the actual temple, but he himself will tabernacle among men. He will dwell among men. And that's what the Feast of Tabernacles is referred to. Not the rapture. He doesn't land on the earth at the rapture. The Feast of Tabernacles is about when he actually comes to the earth and actually tabernacles with men. He will live on the earth. And of course, that's what Revelation describes in Revelation uh, read 19 to the end, and you'll see that two or three times in that those chapters. So, with that introduction to what brought us here in Micah chapter 4, verse 1, we see the establishment of the mountain uh, of the Lord, or as it says, the, the mountain of the house of the Lord. What's it say? But in the last days it shall come to pass. So, it's clear that this is going to happen when? How many of you think we're there? Yeah. So think about it. How many of you believe that the rapture could happen before I say my next word? Amen. That means that potentially, I'm not day setting or anything, I'm just telling you, potentially, if the rapture happened in the next hour, next day, whatever, then within a short amount of time is when the seven-year countdown to the return of Christ comes. So that means what we're reading here in Micah 4.1 could be just a tiny bit more than seven years away before it happens. Amen. So that would put us in the last days, wouldn't it? The amillennialist, by the way. Uh, some of you get confused by big words. It's not that hard. Uh, Pre-millennial. We believe in the millennial king, kingdom. Have you believed that Jesus is going to rule and reign on the earth literally for a thousand years? Amen. 
then you're a premillennialist. You believe Jesus is going to come before and set up the millennium. Premillennial. That's what that means. And the the two alternatives really is the postmillennial. This is going to sound crazy to some of you. Postmillennials believe that we are going to conquer the world with the gospel. <laughs> and the church is going to rule the earth for a thousand years. And then at the end of it, Jesus is going to come back and pat us on the back. Job well done. That's, they wouldn't describe it that way, but that's really what it comes down to. That's called post-millennial. Why? Jesus comes at the end of the millennium. So it's post-millennial. And what? Why do we need him at that point? You don't. That's, a, that's why it's so stupid. It's a stupid doctrine. And uh, then the third view is what I got up here, the amillennialist. When you put an ah, an a in front of something, what is an agnostic? That means they have no knowledge. <laughs> Gnostic, gnosis means knowledge. And agnostic, no knowledge. Like atheist. Atheist means no God. A millennial means, they say all millennial, but it'd be a millennial. No millennium. So they don't believe any of this is to be taken seriously at all. Or they would say, we don't take it literally. I'd say, well, you're not taking it seriously either. But they just don't believe there's going to be a thousand year reign and we spiritualize everything. You see, there are actually all millennialists who will look you in the eye right now and tell you that we're in the millennium. They have said, they will actually say that the millennium represents the church age. And you'll say, well, the Bible says during the millennium, Satan is bound for a thousand years. And they'll say, exactly. You're telling me Satan is bound? Yes. That's what they believe. Hey, listen. All you have to do is stop believing what the Bible says and you go cuckoo. Some of those people are probably true Christians. But after they got saved, they chose to go cuckoo. It can happen to any of you. Anybody. It can happen to me. If all we have to do is stop taking this Bible at face value, stop paying attention to the context, ignore the dispensational framework and so forth, and boom, you're out of here. So the amillennialists refuse to believe that this will actually happen. So keep that in mind. Of course, one other. Some of you may have heard of panmillennialist. Yeah. Just going to pan out. But uh, I want to read this, and we're going to see this in a few weeks here in our Sunday studies, but uh, over in Acts 15, beginning verse fifth, or verse 12, sorry, Acts 15, and verse 12, through verse 18. I want to read verse 12. It says, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. I need to read that so you know who we're talking about. There's Paul and Barnabas there. Then it says, verse 13, And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. And so he's speaking. Verse 14, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. He says, uh, After this I will return and will build again. Read that with me, verse 16. 
After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Now, how can you claim that's not literally going to happen? This is in the book of Acts. The apostles are teaching this. They're teaching premillennialism. They're teaching there's coming a day when he, Jesus, the, the Messiah, we know to be Jesus by this point in Acts 15, is going to return. What did Jesus say in John 14? I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's what he's talking about right there. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David. Now, David's tabernacle is the temple, which has fallen down, been destroyed. At this point, David, or David, some of you may not understand why it's called, it's Solomon's temple, but the Bible goes back and forth, calls it different names. David basically laid the groundwork, the blueprints, and all the supplies, and then Solomon saw to it that it was built. It says, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Now, in Acts 15, think about that. He's quoting this at a time when the temple is there, still there. The Herodian temple. There's a temple there. So, you know, some of these guys had to be thinking, hmm, what's he saying here? Verse 17, why? Read that. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So keep that in mind of what the apostles preached about this temple, that obviously the one that's standing there is going to be torn down while they're talking about it right there, and then it's going to be rebuilt. And... Uh, What's he, in verse 17, keep in mind what he says there too about the even the Gentiles are all going to come to this future temple. So, verse 4 again. That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. That's an interesting uh, thing. The emphasis is on the mountain upon the, uh, which the final temple stands. Some of you are familiar with the group that is preparing to rebuild the tribulation Temple. What do they call themselves? Temple Mount Faithful. The emphasis is not just on the temple, but the mount. Mm -hmm. Why? It's got to be in that place that you go back to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 13 and 14 where Moses talks about this place where I'm going to put my name before they ever went into the promised land. Where was that? It's at what's called the Temple Mount today. How many are familiar with the what they call the wailing wall a lot of times. I understand the Jews don't like you to call it that. They want you to call it the Western Wall. Um, but uh, they, you, you've seen a lot of our political leaders who support Israel and some of pastors and preachers have gone over there and you put your little prayer in the crack of the wall and, and uh, wear the little hat and then they stand there and they do their little prayers you know, and all that. <laughs> and they call it the wailing wall because there's been a lot of times where there's been a lot of mourning there and wailing literally but most of the time if it's wailing it's not that kind of wailing it's more like a, oh, 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 oh. you hear that kind of thing in the background they're speaking Hebrew and everything but that's the wall from the top is where 
the temple is supposed to be rebuilt. And you ought to check that out. We're spoiled on the internet. Uh, you can just go out there and see pictures. They've got drone footage and all kinds of neat stuff you can see of that temple mount. So there's coming a third tribulation temple. This will be destroyed when Jesus returns. Jesus will then establish his kingdom temple in Jerusalem. And that's what this is referring to. And look what it says. And it shall be exalted above the hills. So that's another thing about this millennial temple. Uh, Ezekiel describes it. It will not only be bigger than any temple. It will dwarf the previous temples. But Jerusalem now at this point sits at about 2,500 feet above sea level. Wow. Um, but there's still places, and if you look toward Jordan, it's higher in the distance. Now, if you look toward the Dead Sea, it goes way down. The Dead Sea is way below this level. And um, it, it's, so it's kind of like high compared to the other cities. That's why we talked about, you'll see in the Bible, it'll say they went up to Jerusalem, even though they're coming from the north or other directions. Why? Because you would go up from whatever direction. Jerusalem sits kind of up. But, like I said, there are higher places even within view. Uh, It will rise above all others during the kingdom. It's what it says here. It shall be exalted above the hills. Mary? Do you mean like it will be above like all the other mountains in the world? Is that like Mount Ararat? Put it this way. The earth is a globe. So, I mean, you're not going to be able to look from New York City and see it. But it will be at sea level. If you measure the sea level, it'll be above the other mountains. Now, I'm going to explain why in just a second. Let's go, give me just a second to go on with this. So don't forget this. The earth will be leveled <laughs> during, I should say at the end of, but actually it's during the tribulation it's going to start being leveled. Yes, we're going there. And when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom... The earth gets a total makeover. Let's look at Revelation 16. Look at this. This will explain, at least give us an idea of how it is that Jerusalem ends up being the tallest spot on earth. Revelation 16, verses 17 through 20. Now, uh, there are a number of mountains right now that are so tall that you... uh, Is it Everest? Where... If you go up, there's only really one uh, path that people take to get to the top of Everest. And as you go up, you'll see uh, something like 200 dead bodies as you're going up and down that mountain. Because the bodies, when they people would die, usually it was during, you get really bad winds and weather and just, so cold that's why people die and it's too dangerous to go get the bodies so they just leave them there because they they never fully thaw and so it's like a museum of death going up and down Everest now Jerusalem won't be like that (laughs) so don't worry about that but look verse 17 to 20 and the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying it is done Verse 18, and there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great what? Read that with me. Such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. Stop there. 
It says it's going to be the biggest earthquake in human history. Now, we've had some big ones. I mean, there's been some that have, when they hit, they leveled whole areas and everything. But this says it'll be an earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. It'll be the biggest earthquake in the last 6,000 years. That includes when the flood happened. The flood. Yeah. Look at the, the results in verse 19. And the great city was divided into three parts. Uh, I believe that's referring to um, Jerusalem. And the cities of the nations fell. Going to, all, you know, all those skyscrapers are going to come down. And uh, great Babylon uh, came in remembrance before God. And I believe that's in a reference to the mystery Babylon, which it would be Rome. <laughs> Vatican will be destroyed. To give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now look at verse 20. Read that. And every island fled away. Aha! There you go. So if Jerusalem is this big mountain, God lifts it up, and all the other mountains are leveled. That's why Jerusalem is going to be the tallest spot on the earth. Yeah, Jim. So if everyone at that point stands on one side of Guam, it can actually flip over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I'm not going to be here for that, Jim. True story, Hank Johnson, look it up. In Congress. Worried about Guam flipping over. So back to Micah 4 with that knowledge in hand or in mind. It says, It shall be exalted above the hills, and then what? And people shall flow unto it. And that means from all around the world. The center of all human activity will be that Temple Mount. Right now, it's the center of a lot of attention. I mean, the amount of attention, if you take all the stories from an entire year and you look at the one place who hits the headlines more than any other, even now. Yeah, even Jim. today, I read that um, there's a bunch of talk because... Israel doesn't want to let these terrorists to the Temple Mount for Ramadan. And they're just, they said, you know, we can't see letting them on the Temple Mount with our when they have our hostages. And they're talking big deal. Yeah. Them out. At the same time, there's this huge growing and they're getting some steam to, because the reason why Jews don't go up on the Temple Mount is because a group of rabbis were given the authority and these rabbis have kept Jews from going on the Temple Mount yeah. to pray. And there's a growing effort to allow Jews on the Mount to pray and if they do that, all the Muslims are going to lose their minds. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the Gog Magog thing happening would clean up that to a great deal. I mean, it would remove the Muslim threat almost completely. And so... That's all in the air. We read this when we began our Isaiah studies. Let's go back to Isaiah for a second. Just keep in mind about what we just read. And people shall flow unto it. And then Isaiah 2. Beginning right at the first verse. 
the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now read verse 2 with me. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> so Micah and Isaiah had similar vision. Just like we're reading. Verse, look at verse uh, 3 then says we'll see this. So we'll match verse 2 in Micah 4. Read verse 3 with me. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And I love how it goes on, of course, verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And then, this is the part that the United Nations quotes. And they shall, plow, uh, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. They cut off those, the first section of that about him judging the, the nations and rebuking people. <laughs> and then they quote the rest. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Beautiful, and it matches where we're at. Micah and Isaiah echo one another. <laughs> By the way, just so you have this image in your mind, if you can see that, that's what the borders will look like in Israel during the millennium. If you see the green area, um, it stretches a little. It's a little further south, and it stretches south at the bottom, and it, it's not quite as far up north. And that's kind of what Israel looks like today. But during the millennium, it'll go from the river of Egypt over to the Euphrates. Is that on the website? Yes, that's one of our charts and maps. Yeah. And now, here's the thing I also got to tell you, though. Because we know what's going to happen, which we read in Revelation, it might look a little different when all is said and done. That It's wherever those rivers are at the time. <laughs> that's when, that, that'll be the borders. But that's great. And boy, you want to tick off some people, post that on your social media and tell people that's what Israel's borders really are going to be like. <laughs> but then we come to verse 2, which is the administration. It says that the people shall flow unto it. Then what's going to happen? Verse 2, And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. At this time, the whole world is going to know who is king. Jesus will be king of kings and lord of lords. It's a totally different dispensation. So uh, i got to say, this is my point. It is difficult for many Christians to understand this reality. They, they just think the dispensation we're living in now is the way it's always been and always going to be. It's, and when, so you try to explain to them that before the coming of Christ and before He sent His Holy Spirit to indwell in the body of Christ, you weren't born again and filled with the Spirit. You weren't sealed with the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption. There are all kinds of things in that previous dispensation that happened now that didn't happen then. And there's a lot of Christians that just can't get that. They just, read, they just like, oh, I can't understand how anything could ever be any different than it is right now. 
It's like, wasn't it different in the garden? Oh, yeah. Well, how's, why, is, why is it you can accept that, but you can't accept the different dispensations where in the previous, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be meeting in church on a Wednesday night. We'd get together in the synagogue on Saturday. We'd go to temple and you all take an animal and watch the guy slit its throat and collect the blood. Aren't you glad we're not doing that now? I, <laughs> I think lambs are cute little animals. I've eaten them, but I didn't watch them being killed. That's the way to do it. <laughs> but it's really difficult for Christians to understand that it's not going to be like it is now. Jesus is going to be on the earth, as we've said many times. Right now, we walk by faith. And not by sight. During the millennium, we walk by sight. He's right there in front of you. It's a totally different dispensation. So from the close of Acts to the rapture, we live in a unique time. There's never been a time before and won't be a time after that is like this dispensation. We, they didn't go to church on Sunday and have midweek services before and they won't after. It'll be totally different. So verse 4 again says, and he will teach us of his ways. Imagine Jesus, instead of my pretty face, Jesus standing in front of you and teaching right now. I'd be the first to say, let me sit down <laughs> to have Jesus teaching. Isn't that going to be amazing? I mean, if you believe it, it says, and He will teach us of His ways. Isn't that going to be wonderful? At His first coming, Jesus taught for three and a half years or so. His second coming results in a 1,000-year Bible Institute teaching ministry. Amen. <laughs> thousand years. <laughs> that is exciting. And then it says, and we will walk in His paths. And now imagine the best moments in Israel under Mosaic law. When it says walk in His paths, go back to Deuteronomy, listen to our studies, but just read it on your own. And He says, if you will follow these words... I'll bless your socks off. Amen. I mean, you won't get sick. You'll never have war. You won't have any kind of pestilence. You'll have, you know, your crops will grow to the point where you just don't know what to do with all that you got. I mean, everything will be wonderful. Did they? No. Uh-huh. They's gonna. It's gonna happen. Now, granted... It'll be because Jesus is on the earth. He's going to have this huge squad that you and I are going to be a part of. We will rule and reign with Him. He will rule with a rod of iron. We went through all that in our studies of Revelation. And someone sins, they're nabbed. And if they commit a capital crime, they die. There ain't going to be much chance for people to not walk in His paths. Yeah, it'll be quicker than gun smoke. (laughs) And this is the most difficult thing for Christians to grasp. For the law shall go forth of Zion. The law, I thought Jesus came to do away with the law. He didn't come to do away. He came to fulfill it. And he's going to finally, fully, completely, totally fulfill it during the millennium. Amen. That's exciting. Yeah. And yeah, well, yeah, and that's another thing that people can't grasp. There are going to be a lot of unsaved people, and then they're going to rebel at the end of it, and Jesus is going to kill a bunch of them. <laughs> that, that's just 
hard for us to, but it's really going to happen. For 1,000 years, Jesus will demonstrate what could have been all along under the Mosaic system if people had chosen to be obedient to his word. Now you say, well, God knew that. Yeah, that's beside the point. God gave people the opportunity, and they blew it. During the millennium, he's not going to give them an opportunity. He's going to give them an ultimatum, and they will do it. And then uh, verse 2, in saying, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Jesus will speak. I think, I don't know how it's going to happen. He may use speaker systems. I don't know. But it may be, would it be cool if he fulfills something he said in the New Testament? And Jesus stands up in Jerusalem to give a speech. And everybody out here in front of him hears him like you would me. You know, you're hearing me now. But then over in Tokyo and uh, up in Ottawa and down in Argentina and all over the world, the rocks cry out. Uh-huh. Think about that. Yeah. Wouldn't that be wild if why, he gives a speech and the whole world's going to hear him? How's that going to happen? What if those rocks just become speakers? Yeah, yeah look, look into that. There have already been secular scientists who have looked into the possibility of how certain minerals found in rocks could be used that way. Well, if they can figure it out, I guarantee you Jesus knows all about it already. Amen? Johnny? And I know I've already, I've already read a fictional book where they included that idea. I think it was um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It starts as alien. It's going to destroy the earth. And they... Describe that same idea. So you wonder if they got it from Jesus saying that about the rocks crying out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So Jesus will speak, the world will listen. However he does it, that's going to happen. Amen? How many say, come quickly, Lord Jesus? <laughs> we pick up in verse 3, if he leaves us here, we'll see you next time. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We just ask you, Lord, to help us as we love this book. Help us to understand it completely and give us an extra dose of illumination. The revelation is before us. We need your help with the Holy Spirit to illuminate our understanding. Help us to grasp it. Help us to think about it, talk about it, meditate on it, love it, and tell others about it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song. Stand if you can. Oh, how he loves you and me. Hear a snap, crackle, pop. <laughs> All right. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, bro.
coming through at uh, bbfohio at protonmail.com. And let's say goodbye on three. One, two, three. See you here, there, or in the air.